Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right, good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Bruce Weiner, uh, one of my associates, Cole Pickett, who's been on a couple of podcasts, uh, is also with us today. And we have a special guest, one of our clients, one of our longtime clients uh, from the early days. Uh, we actually started in 2017, and Marcus engaged us early in 2019. And uh, I've enjoyed uh, meeting him and uh, getting to know him over the last three or four years. And Marcus is going to share with us today kind of his journey on on what inspired him to look at the infinite banking concept, how he uses it in his daily life with his businesses, his rental properties, uh, and frankly, just as uh, protection and help for his family on the, uh, the daily life. And uh, during the, the podcast, we, are, we once again are uh, encouraging people to actually ask us some questions. We'll answer them during the podcast. Cole will monitor that. And then, of course, if you like what's going on, please hit the like button and subscribe so that you don't miss any of this content. We're going to have more and more of our clients come on and tell us their journey, because I'm sure a lot of you have the same kind of questions that they have. So, Marcus, uh, welcome to the podcast. And once again, I want to thank you for being on today. Uh, Why don't we just start um, by telling the folks kind of your background from you know, where you came from, where you started, uh, how you got to this place, all those interesting things about your career. Well, thanks for having me, Bruce. It's one of those things that definitely don't feel like I am uh, um, worthy, but uh, it's one of the, the cases where I've listened to y'all's podcast since the early days, and I've heard the guests that y'all have on, so I don't feel like I um, stack up as far as those comparisons go, but it's truly an honor to be on with you guys today. Um, so I don't know how far back you want me to go, but we'll start from... Doesn't, doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do. Yeah. All right. Uh, grew up in the rural south, um, similar to you, small town of a couple thousand people. Uh, went to a private academy there and went to um, college right up the road, Mississippi State University. Got my undergrad. Did the civilian thing for a while. Um, I actually did medical sales for a couple of years and took uh, some valuable lessons from that. So... Learned that I didn't care for it too much, but that it, it has uh, <laughs> beneficial things for the business field after, you know, you get past the uh, cold calling from on docks and stuff like that. Then I uh, got a background in physical fitness. So I did uh, regional management for um, Anytime Fitness in the area. So the couple of gyms that I was managing in the area. Then I was uh, fortunate enough to pick up a scholarship program from the United States Navy College that um, health services collegiate program. So, uh, at the age of 28, I entered into the Navy. So different than the most people started a little later. Uh, but wife and I, and at the time our daughter moved to Washington DC and was stationed at Walter Reed, uh, where I got my master's in healthcare admin and policy. And during that time we started renting out our, what was our primary residence when we lived in Mississippi. So that's when we first started renting out our house. Um, had some philosophy changes along the way from, from different educational sources as far as like how I wanted to handle my rental properties. So, uh, made a change in those, in that plan and, um, took the equity in that house, did a cash out refinance, picked up another couple over the next few years there. And then after that, we started kind of exploring other avenues that were out there. So all, the only life insurance I had at the time was what what I had to the Navy. And I knew once you're out of the Navy, that health insurance, health insurance you know, you, you can keep it, but it's, it's not what I wanted. I didn't want a term policy. Uh, so I stumbled upon a couple of other podcasts that discussed IBC and I started doing a little bit of research. And then um, I got plugged in with y'all. Like you said, I think it was 20, early 2019. Uh, I started listening probably 2018. And um, that's kind of where we, we kickstarted the, the IBC policies. Um, let's see. What about what about some what about some of the rent the actual rentals that you 
have yep. done. And, and I believe you, I believe you've done some flips maybe if I remember right. Yes, sir. So the only thing I've used the, uh, the policy for it has not been long-term rentals yet. So that's, that's my next, once I get this loan paid off, that's kind of what I want to use transition to next. So we have done, uh, I'll just broad scope and kind of throw all of it that we've used the policy for out there. And then we can go back and go over whatever you want to. But, uh, the first two things that we did were, were fix and flips. So we put the, the cash value bar against it and used it to pick up the property and make the repairs and then flipped it. Um, so we did two, two, uh, fix and flips. I've used it as collateral on an SBA loan for a Hotworks that we opened. Um, then we pulled pulled out after we paid it back. So always pay it. I've always paid it back as soon as that equity comes back in. So pay it back and then reuse it again. Uh, but if any bit of it's deployed, then I like to pay it all back down to zero before I use it for anything else again. Um, the next thing was we pulled out all of it. And this is what it's currently got the loan for. But uh, we put out all of it and we did a vehicle for the wife because she said she'd gotten nothing out of it um, up until the time. <laughs> so we did a vehicle for the wife. And then we started Destination Athlete with with some of those funds as well. So uh, we're currently paying back that one. And hopefully within the next year, it'll be down to zero. And then at that time is when we're wanting to look into um, incorporating it into some actual buy and holds versus uh, the fix and flips. Boy, Thank you. Thanks, Marcus, for going over that. I think uh, a couple of highlights that you were talking about is the fact that it, it is really important to pay back the capital uh, that you borrow. And this is, a, this is something that, you know, we make this statement on the pod, podcast all the time. And it is true that you can turn the, you control the terms of the loan. And so you don't have to pay it back on the same amortization schedule. And the, and the fact of the matter is you don't even have to pay it back. But if you don't pay it back, uh, you, you can actually have more and more problems down the road. Uh, if you get into other situations where you can't make premium payments. And frankly, what I tell people all the time is, you know, if, if you do believe this is good as doing uh, owning a commercial bank, which, you know, the, there is a lot of money in owning a, a commercial bank, then why would you pay it back? Because you're you're getting the same kind of benefit as a commercial bank would get from paying back the loans, and then also you know I'm I know how you feel about your family; they're very important to you. If you pay it back, then it uh, the, they release the uh, collateral against the death benefit, so there's more money that goes to the the family, so on and so forth. And probably the most important thing is if you have the discipline to pay it back, now you have the capital again to redeploy into other things. If you don't have the discipline to do that, that capital just kind of disappears in the thin air and you don't have it. So I want our listeners to really understand that. Now, uh, Marcus, I believe, uh, you know, you've done it both ways. You paid it back on a monthly um, kind of draft out of it, and you've also paid it back in chunks uh, along the way. And so those are, those are both acceptable methods. And the great thing about it is when you pay it back in chunks or whether you pay it back uh, a monthly amount, <clears throat> that capital is released right away to be used again for a loan as soon as the check clears. So absolutely. That's it's it's a, it's available to you. Go ahead, Mark. That, that's one of the things that, that I love. Like you said, you, you make your own terms. Um so for example, I'll, I'll have it set to where I'm making a set monthly payment, but then with destination athlete we have busy seasons and, and not busy seasons. So if you've got a bunch of jerseys that are ordered for local high school sports teams and we bring in more than we anticipated, you can always go add to it. And I, I do that. So um, this past couple of months, I've made two to three payments, just depending on what, you know, that finances are looking like. I don't let it bleed over into what our, our personal is and my income from the Navy um, or rental. So I keep it kind of all segmented into what I'm using it for at the time um, and let that actual asset pay back uh, the loan. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very similar to, what a lot of people espoused on the internet about borrowing against and buying cash flowing real estate. The problem is a lot of people that I know that do this technique because I've run into them because they actually reach out to the money advantage and say, you know, um, I talked to this other person and I really need help. And we're looking at their policies and, and the other person in a real estate situation, a lot of times these real estate people have, well, I'm not going to use this to pay back the loan. 
I'm going to just use it to deploy it into another property right away. And that's some really short-term thinking. And uh, real estate is a, is a great way to become wealthy, but the best way to become wealthy in real estate is just like the best way to become wealthy uh, utilizing whole life insurance. It's, it's the long game, not the short game. And uh, I think people uh, miss that. Nelson used to always say, don't be afraid, afraid to capitalize. In other words, don't be afraid to put money into your banking system and think long term. Because if you do both of those things, you're never going to be without capital in the long run. Marcus, tell us a little bit about the, the uh, two uh, current businesses that you and your wife are running. Okay, so the first one that we, uh, the first one is, is Hotworks. It's a 24-hour infrared fitness center. It's a franchise. So both of them are, are franchises that we bought into. Um, that one is a little more, <clears throat> so, so um, not to dive too deep into those two businesses, but they're on the opposite side of the spectrum as far as how their franchise is structured. Um, and it was pretty interesting to kind of learn how, you know, you can have such variability inside of a franchise that you just kind of think, you know, buying into one, they're going to be similar. So Hotworks is very rigid, very structured, um, that everything is laid out for you, KPIs that you look at, systems you have to use, um, everything like that. But we started that one back in San Antonio in 2020. Um, and the way the life insurance came into play with that one was, was not from the franchise fee to the startup fee. Because uh, we had to pay, we paid the franchise fee out of pocket on the front end. It was acquiring the SBA loan. Uh, so in that instance, we we leveraged the life insurance to uh, um, be a form of collateral to the SBA loan. It was it was a process. It was um, not something enjoyable, um, and I, I will not do it again. But it, it was useful. It got us. It got us where we needed to go. So um, if, if I can avoid it, I will. But at that time, we, we had no way to avoid it. So, um, and it wasn't bad. It was just, it was just scary at the time. And then a lot of legwork and miscommunication. And then you're always depending on the banker um, to provide you with certain information. And they don't always know what's going on. So it was, it was an interesting process. But, um, but yeah, that's the first one that we started. And we're still running to this day. I've got it kind of set up on a systems where it takes about an hour a week of my time. I have a manager and a full staff and it's mainly just checking on her KPIs and sales reviews and stuff like that. So that, that's the first one. You have any questions about that before I go into the next one? Uh, I guess like, you know, I'm constantly not just doing an infinite banking. I'm also trying to do business consulting with people. So KPIs are key, key performance indicators. For our listeners. And these are things that, you know, you want to focus on that are the most important things in your business that you've got to really make sure that you hit. And, and they're the things that can tell you which direction you need to go. Or, or, and it also can tell you uh, where you're bleeding um, in, your, in your particular franchise. One thing, um, Marcus, um, if I remember right, one of the reasons that you did you used as a collateral for the SBA because the SBA interest rate at the time was less than the interest rate that the insurance company was giving. Was that correct? Do I remember that correctly, or is that somebody else? Uh, I, talked to? I think that's somebody else. So it was mainly all they used it for was a form of collateral. Um, so they didn't actually touch any of my cash value or anything like that. They they secured the death benefit as collateral on their loan. Uh, so they were seeking, cause they've got a, they've got a certain metric. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but they have to have a certain amount of collateral for their loan amount that goes out. So they, they collateralize not only my, uh, death benefit or a portion of my death benefit. Um, they also collateralized a, the equity in one of the rental properties, um, that they still got locked up to this day, but yeah. Another and then, and then how did, how did you get the collateral released from the SBA? So we went back to them and we had at the time we've, we've paid down enough of the, um, of the loan amount to reevaluate the collateral that we have in it. Uh, so they didn't need that anymore as the as collateral. So it's been three, a little over three years on that loan. And um, it's been paid down enough to where the other forms of collateral, such as the rental property, um, and collateral from other business partners is sufficient. So they're able to restructure it. Great. So that's, that's good. Thanks for sharing that. So our, our uh, listeners realize that's SBA 
finds this to be very valuable that you can use it for collateralizing an SBA loan. What about Hotworks then? When did you get into Hotworks and what is and and how are you running that and how's that doing? We opened we bought into Hotworks. Uh, we bought our, our three fran- our three licenses, so we actually own the right to three different locations um, if we chose or choose to open two more. Um, but we bought it in February of 2020, right before COVID hit. So um, it was pretty poor timing. If we knew what was coming down the pipe, we probably would not have gone that route. But um, anyway, we did. And uh, my wife and I, we, we have the case to where we, we do our due diligence on items. Uh, we pray about things. And then once it comes time to act, we want to move. We don't want to sit still and evaluate and wait. So after we bought it, despite COVID, we still wanted to go ahead and move quickly with the site selection and development. So we uh, picked our spot in San Antonio because I was stationed there and we knew that we were coming up on the end of our, our tour and our time in San Antonio. So we wanted to get it open before we left. Um, so we did our site selection. We got our location. We hired quite possibly the worst contractor ever born on the face of this planet. And it was an estimated eight to 10 week turnaround time. It was 32 uh, weeks before it was completed. Um, he left us high and dry, didn't get the certificate of occupancy. Uh, he did not even install sprinklers in the in the building. So we got a temporary certificate of occupancy to open, and then they had to come back and reinstall the the sprinklers, and we had to shut down after we were operating. But um, anyway, <clears throat> go through, skip over all those headaches. No, no, this um, is all good for our listeners to, to hear, you know, because I, I tell people all the time, You know, a lot of people uh, are jealous of the wealth that business owners create, but they don't they they don't realize that there's a lot of trials and tribulations that you have to go through to get to that particular. So for people to hear this and also how you just uh, I don't want to say, like, not let it bother you, but you just you just put your head down and keep working is why you you eventually are successful in, in a particular business. So, no, this is great that you you shared that with us. Absolutely. It's been, a, it's been a struggle. Hotworks has been a struggle from day one to to still. Um, but ultimately, we finally got the doors open February of 2021. Um, we were no longer living there. So we were we were back in, in Mississippi at the time. Um, we then had to deal with the insane turnover from employees uh, just because everybody knows how employees were at that time. We went through five managers in about 12 months. Um, so I was flying back out there regularly to, to train the managers. We're blessed right now. We've had the same manager for almost a year and a half. Uh, so we've got it down. So we know how we know each other's operating speeds. We know each other's personalities, what she needs for me. It's we hired some that they just had to have their handheld the whole time. And unfortunately for, for my wife and I with four kids and other ventures and the Navy, we just, we didn't have time to, to hold her hand uh, or their hand. Um, this one is very independent. She'll do what I tell her to do. Uh, we have, we have weekly calls so we can review her performance, but um, it's, it's going okay. Uh, we have up and down months. So for the most part, we're break even if we're not break even, um, the only thing that we're coming out of pocket is um, ultimately the principal pay down in the SBA loan. So it's not a case to where um, it's all in how you frame it. I mean, those months right. that are, are poor, it's, it's uncomfortable and not fun to go put a thousand dollars in, in the business account from your, your personal account just to make payroll. But ultimately you're paying down the SBA loan with that principal. So it's, it's like, it's going back into your pocket. So um once it dips below the amount of principal I'm paying down, then I'll I'll get concerned. But but we're a long way away from that, and it's it's trending upwards on an upward trajectory. So um, it, it's going really good. But well, great. Well, talk, okay, now talk a little bit about your your fix and flips that you did. And if I recall, didn't you do a lot of this with your father? Or yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. so talk a little bit about that. I'm a, my career, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a journeyman and I go, I, I'm going full circle. So from active duty naval officer for five years, when we left San Antonio, I separated um, and went IRR, which is what you have to do for your MSO payback, uh, military service obligation. Um, so when we moved back home, I got my real estate license. Um, and about that time, it's 
on the back ends when we started Destination Athlete, but we did some fix and flips when we moved back here uh, to Mississippi, and I've gone full circle, and I'm back in the, in the Navy as a Naval officer now, so um, I can touch on that a little later, but yes, we did about four fix and flips. He's a, uh, a contractor by trade uh, growing up, but we did a lot of the sweat equity ourselves to where we were, you know, doing doing the remodels, the redoing the kitchen, the floors, the you name it, we did it. Um, and he's actually in the middle right now building his own personal house, his fourth one completely by himself. Uh, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. He's like 63 building a house completely by himself. But um, he's a different breed. So we did those together in conjunction. Um and like I said, we did four. We we leveraged the life insurance policy for those uh, for the for the down payment. So we would secure a uh, a loan. One or two of them were were hard money loans um, that we used. Uh, two of them were traditional, uh, and then we did two. One of them was traditional. One of them was a cash cash file. Uh, so we did all different forms of financing on these fix and flips. Um, and we did that for about a year and a half stint, and then it got to where he was being pulled one direction and I was spending more time with destination athlete. And, uh, the last one that we bought to do a fix and flip on, we actually ended up doing a, um, uh, a renovation and we did a, um, uh, rent to own tenant in it. So we, we got somebody structured in it instead of a flip just because it was quicker and easier. So. Well, great. So, that, so then the Navy, the Navy kept calling, kept calling back, I guess. Did they, tell us how that works. Did, did they call you? Did you see? something did you want to go back tell us a little bit about that so we let's see had destination athlete for about eight months um we were rocking and rolling with destination athlete and it was doing doing pretty well so that's another story we can get into as far as destination athlete and kind of the mm -hmm. challenges it has but um i had had gotten a couple calls from recruiters because i was still in the irr which is the immediate ready reserve um and i'd gotten a couple calls here or there from recruiters and I was like, you know, I don't have time for it. And to be honest with you, Bruce, I, I started to miss putting on the uniform. I started to miss what the Navy provided me and brought to me. Um, so she got in touch with me and she convinced me to do the reserves. So I did signed up, started drilling uh, the two weeks, two weekend, two weeks a year, one week in the month. Started in October was my first real period. And nothing against people who do the, the reserves and the drills, but it was not my speed. Um, so I had to sit down with my wife and I said, I either have to find something like active duty or I've got to cut ties again because this isn't the same. Um, so anyway, I started looking for active duty orders and I got recalled on a set of active duty orders that I applied for in February. So, so tell us now about destination athletes, because I know a lot of people that listen to the, um, to the podcast, they have children, they're athletes themselves, and they're interested in athletics. So tell us a little bit about that. That's what that's what kind of got us um, started on Destination Athlete was my wife and I both grew up athletes. I played rugby in college. She played basketball her whole life. And we had four young kids at the time, so we knew chances are they were going to be in athletics. Um, we wanted another business venture, something we could get passionate about. And um, this popped up. I did some research on it. We did discovery calls with them. And like I referenced earlier, complete opposite spectrum as far as how the franchise is structured is concerned. Um, there are no required with the structuring of it. It's a you pay them the franchise fee, of course, up front for your for your area, your region. Uh, we have the state of Mississippi um, and then other avenues to get outside the state of Mississippi. But um, we bought that up front, which I use the life insurance cash value for to pay that part of that franchise fee on the front end. Um, but what I love about it is they give you guidance, they give you training, they give you the resources. Um, but if you don't sell something a month, one month, you don't owe them anything. They only take a small cut on what you actually produce. Um, so with the Navy, it's something I can, if it's a slow month. I don't have to worry about, you know what, they still got their franchise fee coming out. I got to pay their technology fee. I got to pay all the other plethora of fees that, that they have, you have available to you. But ultimately through Destination Athlete, it's kind of like an umbrella to where we have 125 different vendors that we get really good discounts and deals through. Um, and then we do a lot of work with high schools and youth leagues uh, to provide 
jerseys, athletic apparel in any shape, form, or fashion, um, bleachers, billboards, balls, protective equipment, helmets, shoulder pads, you name it, we can do it. Well, that's great. And this is this something that uh, you think you might, you know, uh, venture outside of Mississippi and expand, or is it too early to tell? Um, it, it's too early to tell, to be honest with you, because it's each one, the way they, the way they do their franchise is, um, each one is its own region. So when you purchase a franchise from destination athlete, you're actually purchasing like an area. So you can mm-hmm. it's almost like a, a sales area, but it's yours. Um, now you can operate outside of your sales area. So like, say, for example, um, I don't know if there's any in St. Louis, but if you had a, a youth team and you're like, Marcus, can you get me some jerseys? I could sign a uh, geographical region for me to operate as destination athlete in your area. Um, and then if somebody wanted to purchase that area, then I would no longer be able to operate in it. Um, Got it. If that makes sense. No, so we that have makes avenues sense. to operate outside of Mississippi. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I think that's something that, um, you know, I've owned a franchise. My wife was a franchisee and there are a lot of different uh, avenues. We've actually had a, podcast guest that was an expert on franchises and and it is a way for a person that um, wants to lessen or flatten the the learning curve of a business. Um, You still have to learn a lot about business, but it flattens the learning curve about business. Okay. So uh, if anybody has any questions, please uh, uh, type them in the chat box or whatever social media you're watching right now. One question, Bruce. Okay, go ahead, Cole. Um, Joe DeFazio, our friend Joe, he was asking mm-hmm. Marcus, um, whenever you're repaying back your loan, do you ever charge yourself additional interest or do you just pay the, the stated interest of, of the loan? I just pay what's on the loan, uh, whatever is required from the, the payback terms. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is a good, this is a good question. And this is, um, this is something that um, Nelson talked about in his book. And uh, if you work with, and I'm not saying that we're our way of doing it is better or worse than the way other people do it, but the way we do it currently in most cases is we do such a thorough interview of the client that we get a maximum amount that they can actually uh, design and build their policy. When ne- and so that's they don't have any room to pay additional interest, and all additional interest is paying additional PUAs. So uh, Nelson talks about paying, paying yourself back with additional interest because he says, if this is such a great thing where you're going to get compound growth, why not pay yourself additional interest, which is simply buying more PUAs? Well, we're already maxing out Marcus's PUAs right now. And so if it comes to a time that Marcus wants to it has extra capital from the from the uh, the businesses. What we'll end up doing is probably start one on Brittany, his wife, or something else, so that he has a more capital building up. But that is a technique that we can use on some people, where we say, "Okay, you're going to take a loan, and now you're going to pay yourself back extra, but all you're doing is paying the base your normal premium. You don't pay the PUA." And any extra money actually goes to buy PUAs over the course of the year. So that's a that's a really good question, Joe. Uh, but in, but the way we did it with Marcus, we just we just maximized the PUAs uh, right away. This is a great transition. So thanks, Joe, for the question. So Marcus, let's go back to the very beginning when you were all of a sudden. I guess there was a time where you were like looking for something, and all of a sudden this IBC concept came up. Uh, I don't know if you heard it through social media, whether you came across the book or somebody told you about it, but let's talk about that. Like, what were you looking for? How did you find it? And then the different ways that you did your due diligence, because you did due diligence for a while before you you went ahead and implemented it. Absolutely. So uh, trying to, the way I stumbled upon it was I am a connoisseur of podcasts. Um, I have had slowed down a lot over the last year or two. I don't think kids do that to you, but um, I, I was listening to six, seven regular real estate podcasts and IBC concept. I don't recall which podcast or real estate center podcast it, it came up on, uh, but it came up on one of the, uh, one of those podcasts I listened to. 
Um, it was not you guys that, that they referenced, but um, it was another one. So I started listening to them. And that's kind of where I started learning about the IBC concept, the benefits, the, the death benefit, because that's the huge part to me because I want to leave something to my children um, and, and my wife if she's still here whenever I pass. But um, I did about six months worth of, of reading um, and listening to that podcast and others. And that's when I found the Money Advantage podcast and started listening to y'all. I had a uh, discovery call with the other people first. Um, and it just not, they didn't do anything technically that I chose not to go with them or to turn me off of IBC. It was just, it, it didn't feel like a fit. It wasn't the right the right provider, the right, I didn't trust them to build my policy the way that I thought it needed to be built. Um, and then, so I reached out to y'all and we had discovery calls and it just, it's one of those things that it just felt right. And I'll be honest with you, one of the things that, that I really liked was you referencing somebody else and getting me in touch with them. And I didn't know how you did that until recently you had a person reach out to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't know, cause you know, some people, some companies they solicit it. So you would you would reach out to me and say, Hey, I've got so and so reaching out to you. Can you tell them XYZ? It was completely unrequested. It was out of the blue and it was a you included them to introduce it to me. You didn't structure what you wanted me to say, you didn't structure how you wanted to say it, completely be transparent with them. And that spoke volumes to me now as far as like how y'all operate and what y'all y'all do. And you know that your your reputation or your influence on the people that you provide insurance for and you work with your client is so stellar that you don't have to set the groundwork for what to talk about. And it was that that I could, I guess, ultimately feel and gather on the front end, which is kind of what, what led me to, to design my policy through y'all. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, that is something that when Rachel and I got together and Lucas, her husband in 2014 is when we first met. And I actually, they actually asked me to mentor them across. And then when 2017 came along, we decided to go on a business venture together. It was really important to us that we were doing this for the right reasons and not just to figure out a way to sell more policies. Now, obviously, we're capitalists. We want to sell policies and we want to provide other services where we get revenue. But the fact of the matter is we both have the, 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 uh, and I think you do too, for your businesses, you will get paid when you add value. You know, so you add value, people will recognize that and they will be happy to pay you. I tell all my, my young people that I mentor is your clients want you to be successful. So they, they want you to make a great living. They, and why? Because if you make a great living, you're inspired to keep adding more and more services and you're going to be around. You know, you're not going to be out of business and then you're going to have to say, now, who do I talk to? So this is another great business lesson for people is just continue to add value in a person's life. Don't worry about the revenue. The revenue will come from adding the value. It might not come right away, but you've got to just keep consistently working on it and it'll go from there. So absolutely. So then talk a little bit about it. And once again, we didn't really, um, I didn't prepare you for any of these questions, but talk a little bit. About, I know a couple of years ago, we actually, you actually mentioned, I don't remember, we either, we either text back or forth or we, we, talk, we talked on the phone and you said somebody had approached you about investments and you had mentioned to them that you had a whole life insurance contract. And they actually, if I remember the story, they said, well, you know, the reason they stole that to you was just because of the commissions and you're never going to talk to them again because they're just going to be gone. Yep. And, and I remember your response was, I talk to him all the time. So let's talk a little bit about that. It was actually, it was, I don't remember who it was or how the concept came up, but um, it was somebody who was trying to get me to come and work for them. Uh, it was a financial advisor of some, some sort. Um, and we had some conversations back and forth. And uh, they were talking to me about their products and he said something about term and, um, you know, the, the big advocates for term policies. Um, he referenced them and sent me the videos. And I was like, well, what is your just out of curiosity? What is 
What is your um, hatred towards whole life? And that's when he dove into the how it was designed. It was only for the commissions that uh, you ultimately will will lose money along the way if you do that route versus their pop, their term. And that once they set you up for whole life, then then the providers that establish your policy, they're just gonna you know leave you. And that's why I've countered back and I was like, I, I talk to Bruce all the time. We have at least annual reviews of our policy. We go over what what the PUAs were, the the commission, the dividends. I was like, so they, they definitely don't leave you. And I, I understand that there are probably um, companies out there that do that, but uh, but that's not been my experience with with Bruce. So um, they were they were just a um, a bunch that was sold on the term policy. Ultimately, I think that they probably get as much commission from term as whole. Um, and, and it's easier to sell because it's a lower lower cost point monthly. Like it's easier to sell somebody on you get two hundred thousand dollars worth of death benefit if you pay me fifty dollars a month versus with the whole life, you've got to build the cash value up. So of course you're investing in on the more on the front end and then you're not able to access as much cash value until a few years in. But it's one of those things to where delayed gratification and that's always been kind of one of my one of my philosophies on, on things from real estate to, to this. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you're absolutely right. There are a lot of bad apples in our uh, industry, but I tell people there's bad apples in every industry. But for whatever reason, um, the insurance industry actually deserves some of it because of some of the type of products that they got away from whole life. You know, whole life was, was the only product there for the longest time. Then term came along then universal life. Universal life is what really started getting the, the uh, black eye in the industry because uh, people stopped monitoring them and the interest rates plummeted and they were very interest rate driven. And then people couldn't uh, discern between whole life cash value and universal life cash value. So they just put them all together and said, all this stuff is bad. And that would be like saying the uh, the S&P 500 index and the uh, Russell 2000 index and the Russell 2000 goes down. And so that means the, the S&P 500 is going to be a bad index. I mean, it's, it's not the same Absolutely. index. It's the same thing. And, and, we, and we actually sell term insurance for the right situation. We think it's a great protection for the right people. And it's not that term is bad. It's just that people need to know that there's other things out there. And typically what happens on these is that it's the old buy term and invest the difference. And, um, the, and my, we my always kicker with, my kicker what's with that? And what I, what, the way I countered, you know, kind of that approach with them is what is the chances that, that they're actually going to be diligent and invest the rest? Um, that was, I mean, because I, I know a lot of people I grew up with in this area, in my area, they're not going to, they don't know how to invest or what to invest in. And it's one of those things where they're leaving them high and dry. If you're going to sit there and talk about how the, the whole life provider is going to do the, the policy and then leave them. When you write the term policy and you tell them we'll invest the rest, a lot of times you're not telling them or advising them where to invest the rest at. So they're just going to sit on it or, you know, yeah. spend it on something my, different. Yeah. My experience is that uh, what exactly what you said. And then people start to get nervous and they, they don't want to invest anymore because they, they haven't been taught about the volatility of the market. And I, and I frankly tell people, you know, when you think about it, that's what's happening in a whole life contract. Now, you're not doing the investing, but the insurance company is doing the investing for you. And so you are, you are buying term insurance because there's, there's, there's uh, term rates within the whole life. And then they're taking the cash value and investing the rest. And then they're paying you a dividend and interest based upon how the interest, how the insurance company made money. And then you, then you could actually use the uh, cash value as collateral to borrow against and go out and invest it outside of the stock market, which we're big component proponents of, you know, doing things outside the public market. Not that the public markets are bad, but there's, there's definitely room for your, you know, building your own business and, building the whole life capital so that even if you make a mistake with the business, you can just continue to pay your premium 
Mm-hmm. And you're still going to you get that compounding effect from all those years paying uh, into that. So thanks for sharing that um, with with us. And as far as what were the things that you found to be very intriguing about this concept that Nelson Nash put together as far as the infinite banking concept? What are the one or two things that you said, this makes total sense to me and I want to do it? Uh, really, one of the biggest was the uninterrupted compounding um, effect where I have the cash value in there and it's still going to treat it as if it's in there and I can use it at the same time for something that I want to deploy it into. Um, so, I mean, for example, taking 50000 out and putting it down on something, whether that be a house and you can earn money that way, but it, your policy, you know, yes, you're going to have to pay it back and you're going to pay interest on it, but it's being treated and earning dividends uninterrupted while you're also simultaneously using it. Um, there's just one of those things where that made sense. And then if I can do that and also secure a death benefit while doing the same leveraging with, with that, those funds, it just, it made sense. And then whenever y- y'all drew up the policy with the paid up additions riders and the terms, and the way, the way you have it structured, it just, those are the couple things that really clicked and, and made me, you know, Wish that I had started a couple of years younger than I did, but <laughs> that's that's what everybody says. You know, I'm so thankful that my father started one on me when I was born, and so I I tell people all the time. I've mentioned on a podcast. I think I was doing IBC before it was cool. It's cool now to do it. Uh, yeah, because in ni- <clears throat> 1986, when I got married, my father actually gave me the contract. He changed ownership to me, and my wife and I used it to as a, to borrow against to put a down payment on our first house. And it was awesome. just, it was, it was such a nice gift that my father did for me. And, uh, you know, this is one of the things I see with our clients that are saying, Hey, I have a, a policy on me right now. And I'm always a believer in the protection like you're talking about. And I don't know if you felt this with other people that were doing that you did your due diligence for, but they downplay the, the, the death protection so much. And all they want to talk about mm-hmm. is how, you know, you can you can uh, borrow against the cash value, and let's let's pull the death benefit down as far as possible, so you don't have as much many fees against this. You know, it's like the death benefit is very very valuable. It's very valuable. One of the, one of the things that, that I saw that I, I didn't didn't care for is um, they would structure try to structure it more to where you could access more of your cash on the front. Um, and to me, that's a very short sighted. Uh, way way to design it. I mean, it, there's I'm sure cases where that's the best the best avenue. But for what I was looking for, I wanted a larger death benefit. And like I mentioned earlier, delayed gratification, where ultimately you you don't have to use the cash value for the first couple of years, um, and then you can actually build up enough to where you can access more of it in comparison to what you put in, and then you also have that larger death benefit. Then minimizing your death benefit and a and a trade-off to try and get access to your capital quicker. I just, I didn't care for that approach, and that's really kind of what they were pushing. Yeah, and, and that is the big schism within the IBC community. And frankly, we always say that when you do that, that is not IBC. I'm not saying it's not a technique because it is a technique, but mm-hmm. it's not the it's not the tenets that that Nelson built IBC on. Um, because once again, don't be afraid to capitalize and think long-term or his first two tenants. And the reason for that is, is the base death, the base death benefit is where the majority of your dividends come from, not the PUAs. So if you pull that down really for that base death benefit, yes, you're going to have more cash value right away, but the compounding effect will not be as pronounced because you're going to get a lesser dividend. Now, Marcus, I don't know if you thought about this. The other thing is, is that as you build that bigger base death benefit, not only do you get bigger dividends right now, but now as interest rates have gone up, you're going to get even greater compounding as dividends go back up because you have a a bigger uh, death benefit. And I have historicals on this that go back to the 80s where dividends actually went up over a hundred percent from the original illustration, and and that is that is a possibility in the next few years, and so that's just more compounding 
of those dividends as they go back into the cash value and so on and so forth. Going to build a bigger death benefit for your family, going to build more capital for you uh, going along. Well, I appreciate I appreciate you sharing that. Is there any other things uh, that you have thought about during the podcast right now that we miss and you want to share with our audience? Um, one thing that kind of just just entered my mind is what you you referenced. I, I don't even know how my, how I transitioned into this, but whenever you take out the cash value, when you do it, that interest rate set for that year. Um, so I'm experiencing with our SBA loan again. I'll reference it. It was on a three one arm. Um, so so our note just jumped about twelve hundred dollars a month because the rates are so high. Um, and it's one of those things that's out of sight, out of mind at the time. I was thinking short term. Um, and it was set up, like I said, on that 3-1. So it had a great rate on the front end, but then now it's up over 10%. Whereas with, with the cash value, I take it out. If you take it out, say December, for me, for example, it's set from September to September because that's when my policy is in effect. So even mm-hmm. if rates jump astronomically for that whole year, I access that cash value without having to pay the financing fees and jump to the hoops to get financing. And I have that same rate for the entire entire year up until that anniversary date, um, and that that's been really great because I mean I'm paying I'm paying a five percent rate right now uh, up until September on what I have taken out. So that's just another I think added value. Yeah, and, and uh, it's funny you know you you uh, the interest rates move slowly in both directions because insurance companies are actually very conservative, so. As interest rates have actually spiked, um, where your home loan, you know, could be close to 7% right now, you can actually borrow against your cash value. And we had a client do this, borrow about $850,000 to actually do buy a condominium in Florida. And he didn't have to do anything but sign a piece of paper. He was so ecstatic about the whole thing. And so not only did he get a 5% rate, um, now it's only fixed for one year. It, it can go up, but it's, he's two percentage points below what the bank was going to offer him. And the bank was, was putting him through the ringers. But because they, he had, he had faithfully saved 7,000 a month for, for a decade plus, he had all this capital built up that he didn't have to deal with the bank anymore. And it's a very, very, it's a Nelson Nash used to talk about how. When he would turn 67, I, I remember him telling me that when he turned 67, he said, I got all the banks out of my life. He said, I paid off my mortgage. I paid off my commercial mortgage. He paid off everything. And he said, it was such a peaceful experience, you know, uh, the way the way to it's live. A, it's a refreshing experience whenever you, like you said, you just sign that piece of paper and then you get the funds in your, in your account in a matter of days versus having to jump through all the prequals for any of the other loans give up half of your newborn for for the financing fee <laughs> it's, it's a nice experience to be able to go that route absolutely well we appreciate you stopping by today and doing this i know you're busy and uh, i know you and your wife are leaving on a cruise shortly and so to, to take this hour to, to speak with us we really really appreciate it and thank you also for being a sounding board when I have somebody that wants to talk to you about, you know, your experience, uh, we are really, really appreciative and, uh, you know, keep us informed of what you're doing because people are really interested in how they can shorten their learning curve on, on getting into a business aspect. So we really appreciate you being here today. It's truly been my pleasure. And if anybody has any questions, you can, you can get them in contact with me. Um, yeah. I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody. Great. Cole, any, any more questions today? Nope. That was it. Um, appreciate you hopping on, Marcus. I think that was extremely valuable for a lot of the people listening. Um, we hear in the meetings, me and Bruce have a lot of the um, same questions and concerns. And so I think having you on today really cleared up a lot of that and people can reference this podcast in the future. So thanks, Marcus. Thanks, Cole. Okay, so if you like the, what's going on today, don't forget to subscribe and hit the like button and, and comment and ask questions afterwards uh, on YouTube or, or uh, LinkedIn or Facebook, and we'll answer the questions uh, there. If you, have, if, you, if you have any questions about 
wanting to talk to us about your own situation, uh, go to our um, or email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com and uh, we can answer those questions or you can get on the calendar of one of our advisors. And then finally, when you think about progressing in life, uh, whether it's on the personal and business side, um, you need to really do what Rachel has said over and over in podcasts. It's like when you are looking to build a life and business you love, don't follow the crowd. Follow a select successful few and you'll build that life and business that you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.